Word. All right. We are live. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first episode of the Concerned Dabs podcast. I am your host, Katie M. Kane. My co-host broadcasting from the East Coast is Will Terps. Um, yo, yo, what's up? On the production end, we have Mitchell Wilson and Jesse Curry in Lampway, Idaho. And our first guest is going to be Jackson McQuinna McCormick from Natural Wonders. Um, we already have him on the video call, but me and Will Terps wanted to do a little bit of intro. Um, we met while working uh, at a dispensary in Portland called Natural Wonders. Um, we always had some cool conversations about the industry. Lots of customers and patients would stick around to hear us chop game. So we decided to do a podcast. Um, I've been a patient, a medical cannabis patient in Oregon and Washington since 2011. Um, I've got lots of production and retail experience, not so much extraction, but um, I have a lot of concerns with the way the industry is going for the future. And um, I appreciate my homie Will's input on such issues too. So Will, if you could give a little bit of intro about yourself, um, the place yeah. you've worked as far as experience, and then also you write for another publication, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I work at Natural Wonders. I'm a bud tender. I've been a bud tender there for around three years now. And I also write for the Oregon Leaf, do reviews mainly, uh, do some other stories like farm profiles and such. Been writing for them for about five years now, maybe a bit longer. Um, but yeah, that's what I do. Dope. Dope. Okay, so... We got a little bit of time. Josh Galbraith from Kayachat is supposed to call in at 8.15. So Jackson is going to tune off until 8.45. Um, he's going to turn his camera off, he said. Of course, I just want to make sure it all works. So I'm just yeah. going to mute and turn the camera so it stays connected. Cool. Thanks, dude. Yeah, we appreciate you, bro. We'll talk to you in a few minutes. Sounds good. Cool. Okay, so Will, you are on a little bit of an extended vacation because the shop you work at is remodeling and relocating. Yep, exactly. So where are you located at on the East Coast? Uh, I'm in Western Mass right now. Right now I'm in Holyoke uh, in the Pioneer Valley, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, it's uh, Massachusetts just legalized. And this is Western Mass is actually... Uh, where the first dis uh, recreational dispensaries opened up. I don't even think that there's any uh, rec dispensaries still open in Boston. They're still waiting on uh, <clears throat> final approval. Okay. So the only rec license. Yeah, the only rec spots uh, in Massachusetts right now are in the western part of the state. There's NIDA, uh, New England Treatment Access in um, Northampton. There's INSA in East Hampton. And then there is uh, Berkshire Roots in Pittsfield. And those are all recreationally approved uh, dispensaries. I've been to all of them, checked it out. So Dope. So is it 18 and up or 21 and up? Um, it is 18 and up if you're a patient uh, okay. and 21 and up for rec. So similar to Oregon. Dope. Um, so if you're a medical patient, is there still a discount? Like, is there no tax or something? Yeah, there's no tax. I think the taxes are, is similar to Oregon. I think they break it down a bit differently, but it's around 20, 25%. Um, so, you know, a $50 eighth turns out to be, 
uh, 60, 65, depending on the, the, the tax. And, uh, both my parents are, are medical patients. Um, but the, the prices are still a little expensive out here. Uh, it's right $50. <clears throat> it's $50 for an eighth if you're, if you're medical. So, um, and that's, is there, pretty... is there a limit on purchase or possession? No, there's no purchase limits for medical. You can buy as much concentrates as you want, as much um, flour as you want. Uh, the limit for recreational is an eighth of flour. Oh, like per day? Yeah, per day. Yep. And and then is there a seed to sale tracking system? So yeah, there is, and a lot of times it's in mass. It's a lot of big. Um, it's it's more the big players. It's not they don't allow for um, you know like smaller craft growers necessarily to to be able to thrive. So it's, it's usually the big players and most dispensaries have their own grows. Um, so they're vertically integrated. It's kind of what they want in mass. Yeah. Is, does the law still allow for any home cultivation for recreational users? It does. Um, I'm not sure on the plant limit. I think it might be around four. Um, definitely it's pretty, um, I think the, the plant limits go a bit higher if you're medical. Um, but there's definitely a lot of home growers, um, and the medical yeah. law still allows for, um, you know, patients to get, to get their medicine that way. And, um, the cool thing about New England is a lot of, a lot of states reciprocate. So they, um, for example, Rhode Island reciprocates, uh, to Massachusetts, um, yeah, Maine yeah. and pretty much any other state that has medical program. Arizona um, does the same thing. You can fly into this state um, as long as you are not breaking the possession law here, which is two and a half ounces. As long as you have your card on you, you won't get charged with possession. Exactly, exactly. And and you also can't, um, unfortunately, buy product from dispensaries if you have an out-of-state um, medical license. Same thing um, here. Same thing. Yeah, though, but, but... Patient to patient is still legal. I've, I've been... Told. Yeah, patient to patient is still legal. And at least, you know, if you're if you're caught with it whatever you're, you're still protected as a patient of the states yes so anybody listening to this podcast right now it is a great idea to obtain and keep your medical card no matter what just in case you run into them boys definitely uh, you can pull out your card and catch no sweat man absolutely um so i moved from oregon about a year ago in february of 2018 i moved to phoenix arizona i got my medical card down here i wanted to start cultivating but the law for cultivation down here is if you're a patient and you wish to grow for yourself you have to live 25 miles from a dispensary which eliminates like 95 percent of the whole population um, the loophole workaround is that you can find a patient who lives outside that 25 miles and you can cultivate for them as their caregiver. I haven't found that patient yet, and I don't have the space where I live yet. Um, my lease is up soon, so try and make a stab at it. I really miss that part about Oregon. Um, not only having my card, but even if it lapsed, you could still have your four plants. And um, I haven't done that in a year, and I miss it a lot, fellas. So um, if any laws go federally, that's what... I want to campaign for is that everybody can still cultivate their own. Um, I just, definitely, you know, it's cool to buy from a store, but everybody should have access to seeds and to grow whatever works for them. Cause sometimes you can't find what you're looking for in the store. And 
you know, I just envision a world where everybody has four plants in their backyard and your neighbor might have some bomb that's peeking over the fence and you're like, trade with him, you know, on Thanksgiving. Like, dude, you want to trade a zip? Yeah, I'll trade a zip. Like, that's that's the world I want to live in, fellas. Definitely. I agree with that. Um, so, yeah, down here, the it's still medical. It's not recreational. Um, so with your medical card, the purchase limit is two and a half ounces and it's supposed to be for two weeks, but I've, I've been back to a place and they didn't reject me or anything. I don't know how much they're tracking that. Um, prices are pretty similar. Like you can get a $50 eighth of some bomb and then there's budget eights for like 20, 25 bucks, but it's like with the shatter. There's a few places that have $20 grams, man. So, and it's super dope, super clear, super stable. Um, it's, uh, I think 25% tax too. So it ends up being 25 bucks for that gram. If you purchase, um, nice. tax. and then the one thing that I am afraid of down here is there's no residual pesticide test required for any of the product that gets on the shelf. So Arizona Same with mass dude. Yeah. So bugs are pretty big down here. Um, the winter is pretty mild, so I don't think any of them die out over the winter. So I assume that's a real problem. I don't know what anybody's doing to, uh, handle that. I, I haven't seen anybody on IG or anybody I've talked to in person that says, nah, use IPM by the bugs. Yeah. And that's like, that's, the answer i keep looking for and i keep not getting yeah unfortunately i feel like that's with states that are just i mean just legalizing and just getting things going it's like lesser known because you know oregon um you know there's there's a lot of growers out there because the the rec laws didn't necessarily allow for you know the shutout of small growers licenses aren't you know don't cost eighty thousand. um and people know it's kind of universal, I mean, not universal, but I've seen a lot of growers in Oregon um, switch over to IPM. And, you know, pretty much a lot of people are using, um, you know, beneficial insects like predator mites, um, ladybugs, that type of stuff. Because as yeah. long as you have those roaming, uh, roaming your garden, you don't ever have to spray anything, really. Yeah, man, that's a, uh, I got Joshua Steensland to confirm that we can have him next Sunday on the cultivation episode. Mm -hmm. And that dude is all about that shit, man. And definitely plans to provide habitat for those bugs. Like he's got game freshwater farms. Um, definitely. I just dig that. It's like no newts, man, just water. And most yeah. growers really can't claim that because they're dependent upon chemicals to definitely create their product so um i hope there's something on the state ballot that's um gonna require pesticide testing for medical cannabis in this state we'll see if it passes um yeah i mean guess it just goes hands in hand, hand in hand with uh you know it being uh you know medicine it's like you you yeah. need your medicine to be clean if, if your medicine is tainted with pesticides and is you know, if you have, if you're a patient with a compromised immune system, that is, you're not doing yourself any good by smoking, um, you know, pesticide tainted uh, flour. And that's totally on the state. That's totally on 
the state and labs making sure that they um, have proper testing requirements for it. Oregon's doing a pretty good job. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to think that like the, <laughs> the herb that's tested for pesticides in, or- uh, in Oregon goes through more stringent tests than like food does like, yeah. by a long shot. Way and that's shot. super alarming just in itself. That was um, my argument with a lot of people was the stuff you can buy on the shelf at the store I work at is safer than anything you can buy at the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, and that's just wrong in its sense. It's like a a regulated industry, you know, cannabis industry, which, you know, most a lot of people consider unregulated, has stricter, more stringent pesticide testing than the FDA. And that's not yeah. that's that yeah, sucks. Uh, <laughs> another article I read online said that uh, USDA certified organic now allows herbicides to be on products that are labeled as organic. And yeah. as long as it's not a pesticide, they view it as okay. I'm like, geez. And I feel like that was just a slick move to make glyphosate okay. Because, yeah. you know, it's... uh. They call that a weed killer, but it also breaks down the stomachs of insects that consume anything that's been sprayed with it. So yeah, it's shitty. It's like a, a, in order to protect corporate growers, because you know if you're a good grower, you know how to uh, integrate IPM into your garden and never have to spray. Yeah, it's dude. these it's these chads. Sorry to use that <laughs> term, but these chads that don't know anything. They just got big money. And they come in and they think they can hire a stellar grow team or they think they know what they're doing. And yeah, it's become a race to the bottom now in Oregon. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah, it's like these, these chads can get by because, you know, if they grow, if they have a failure crop, but they can afford to price it like $3 a gram, the market's going to eat it up right now. Yes, sir. Yes, they will. And it's, uh, yeah, every article I read about the, the supply in Oregon says it's like more than a million packs just sitting there waiting. Yep. And a bunch of it's from last year even. So I'm like, uh, federal legalization would really help those guys out if they could export. Definitely. Yeah. Allowing, uh, you know, like Oregon grown products to go to other States. I mean, um, going back on the, the prices of when you were saying that, uh, you know, Arizona, you can find as a medical patient, there's a spot you can get, $25 grams of shatter uh, in mass. Now I believe there's a half gram limit for uh, recreational. So if you're a rec customer, you can only buy a half gram person and um, shatter costs 60 a gram wax Damn. costs 50 a gram and distillate costs 95 a gram. Damn. Is that just yeah. based on the THC numbers alone? Probably. Yeah. And probably yield too, but yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't believe that I saw the the distillate priced it that much. They had a few strains, but I mean, everyone knows distillate is you know you're making it from the crudest of the crude. Yeah. So dude. yeah, ah, dark slabs turn it into distillate. Yeah, it's you know it's basically failed failed crops at ninety five a gram. That's, yeah. that's what I don't that's what I don't like about distillate. I agree, dude. With a little bit of nice terps added in. Yep. Um, so down here, another article that's been in the news is that, uh, Maricopa County is still pulling people over and busting them for concentrates, even though they have their medical card, people are still getting arrested for that. 
and it's a uh, it's a bummer because a lot of people do need that concentrated dosage for their medicine and it would suck to get pulled over and have your medical card still get shaken down and still go to jail um i'm really concerned about that as far as the state goes because there was a law to outlaw concentrates but it failed mm -hmm. like it failed on the the house floor or whatever so um i don't know what those cops are well, doing man how does that how is the what the dis what is the disconnect between selling concentrates in dispensaries and then people being able to be busted by it like out in public or like yeah you know, exactly that's uh one of our guests we don't know if he's going to be able to tune in or not his name is neilio dimer he's supposed to open up in oklahoma i was reading up on their laws and it's really gray yes i can oh, okay cool man can you hear us now we cannot hear him yet mitchell sorry folks we have our first guest for the evening josh galbraith from kaya shack calling in um, he's in trance in transit traveling from Salem, Oregon. I believe he had some business to handle today, so he couldn't join the video stream, but he was able to call in. So we just got to work through these technical issues yeah. real quick. Try and get that figured out. Get him patched into the stream and we should be able to hear him. Okay. Yep. Hello, Josh. Can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you hear us, Josh? Hello. Yeah, I can hear you, Josh. Audio is uh not so good right now. Hello. Yeah, I can hear you now, bro. Can you yeah. hear us? I can hear you. Okay, there's a little bit of echo and delay. Um, okay, I'm on my I'm on I'm on my headphones, but I'm along the side of the highway in my car here. <laughs> oh yeah, not a problem. Thank you guys for having me. Is he still there? Can you hear me? Hello. Yeah. Can uh, Can you please state the the state where you're from and the name of your store where you work at as far as retail? Hey man. Uh, yeah. My name is Josh Galbraith. Uh, I'm here in Oregon. Uh, the stores we we that we have are uh, Kaya Shack is the name of our dispensaries. We have uh, three actually in Salem, Oregon, and uh, one in Portland, Oregon. Awesome. Awesome. So multiple locations. That's dope. And you guys also in production. So you are vertically integrated, correct? Yeah, yeah, we are. We've uh, we kind of started that concept in about 2014 when we actually started the dispensaries and uh, kind of had a, a, a small grow operation uh, around the corner from our first dispensary where we we supplied it with uh, it was a medical dispensary at that point, and we're now we're now fully recreational, although we still offer um, medical discounts to people as far as 
no tax. Awesome. And that, that's good to hear. Man. Uh, Absolutely. I keep telling people to stay with their medical card. I know you can still purchase rec, but it's really worth it if you really need that as your medical. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's still getting with that network of growers that you can still kind of create that your own personal integration with vertically. <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. So, uh, is that what inspired you to open a dispensary? Were you in production first and figured, man, we might as well just retail this stuff? Well, I mean, I, I've been in production for about 30 years. So yeah, when this all started happening, uh, the, on the medical side, oh, uh, you know, about 2001, we started figuring out ways of, you know, creating co-ops, creating, you know, a little bit larger of grow environments and uh, figuring out ways uh, to, you know, kind of get that off. Now, uh, oh, it was about 20, probably 2011 or 2012 around here when, uh, you know, we started having some medical dispensaries start popping onto the scene. And, uh, you know, we kind of looked at that and we were putting our product into, into some other dispensaries and it was like, well, it looks like this is the environment where we should vertically integrate and, you know, start our own dispensaries and got that process going. So, uh, awesome. you know, it's been, a, it's been a, quite the process, but, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's rewarding. It's also a great amount of work and you got to be really on top of things. So. <laughs> We've learned a lot along the way. Yeah, the game changes like every three months is what I tell folks, man. <laughs> it feels like it, yeah. Yeah, you definitely have to stay on board uh, with all the laws, all the little changes with the, the different uh, governing factors as far as your local environment, such as we have the Oregon Liquor Control Commission who governs the recreational environment here. And uh, as well as, you know, you have your Oregon Department of Agriculture who verifies your scales and you have a lot of different factors and factions that you have to kind of make sure are all vibing and all in sync to, to kind of stay on yeah. top of things around here. That was my next and question, the, it, sir, was what sort of obstacles have you encountered in getting licensed because uh, zoning and all the different governments is... Uh, yeah, that's funny you say zoning. Zoning is probably one of the biggest ones that can stop someone up you know a lot of people will just kind of rush into things and now with the licensing of course you have to make sure you're properly zoned ahead of times but as far as challenges in building up to this uh i've seen a lot of a lot of folks who would you know kind of start into it real deep and invest a lot of money and and, and kind of forget along the way that they had a few very basics to cover like is your zoning proper and is it going to be proper as things change? So I saw, I did see that becoming a challenge. Um, although now you're seeing a lot more, um, uh, you know, local environments that are more conducive and wanting to bring folks in. I'm seeing less and less uh, of a, more of a fight and now more of kind of some of these counties that are, more inviting, you know, and with the hemp bill, we're starting to see even more of that. So with the farm bill, that is so. That's good. So, yeah, I mean, things are, things are starting to be, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, man. So you're into uh, hemp farming also, correct? 
Uh, you know, like uh, we're, we, we are just starting to kind of get into it. We have some partners that have been into it for the last few years. Um, and, of course, we're uh, kind of looking at ways to maximize our, our reach. So on the personal side, I'm kind of looking at starting a project uh, in the hemp farming industry, which is actually looking to be kind of a neat, uh, a neat project where we have kind of a hub in the center of many thousands of acres owned by some farmers out there that have kind of been paid to not use their property for many years. And we're kind of looking at creating a co-op out there once again um, um, of these farmers and getting them to use their property to farm hemp, where in, in which we would create kind of a, a back-end supply chain um, to help them, you know, process as well as get their product into the market. So, so right now, there's a lot of movement going on within that industry as well, and we're seeing you know, kind of a, a neat, okay, so, a neat uh, path. Yeah, dope. So uh, hopefully um, in the future, if we have an, a hemp episode, we could maybe have you as a guest again to talk about. Uh, sure, sure, yeah. Um, the yeah, yeah. I had, the next question I have is, uh, what do you feel is the most difficult issue facing retail cannabis businesses today? Most difficult issue, you know, without without getting down any rabbit holes or anything, um, I think one of the most important issues is is compliance. Um, uh, compliance is the number one issue that everyone needs to keep, you know, fully on top of because um, OLCC, once again, that's our Liquor Control Commission, but they've also expanded to govern uh, the cannabis. Um, they're really, they're really, they really want everyone to be on top of the table and, and to be straight. And, and we, as, as an industry, we, we ourselves uh, want to be there. And, and so, um, you know, I think, I think compliance is, I'm not going to say it's the difficult, it's, it's one that just has to be con constantly, you know, aware, you know, as a, as a business, you, you have to constantly be aware of compliance. You can't have, you know, things going into the market that haven't been through their proper change. You can't accept them. There's, there's a whole lot of, you know, just little, um, little things that you just kind of have to be aware of. So I, I think compliance is the main, the main thing that can stop up a company. Uh, I, I've seen, you know, you can't, you can't cut corners anymore, man. You just have to be really transparent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know. Definitely. Yeah labeled correctly and you never know when somebody right. will come in and inspect yeah and I, i've been and they do and, and they do too yeah, yeah well, i'm in oregon and, and i do we, we i've seen if you look at the oregon liquor control commission's um bulletins they set out i mean we've seen a number of places actually get shut down um for, for being out of compliance you know yeah, and yeah. so and you know you think you you put all this time and energy into doing this, um, and you just kind of drop the ball in one area, um, which is actually should be your first area you look at. <laughs> so it it is it's interesting and surprising, but uh, at the same time it's like I say it's really easy for guys that have been in the industry for many years, or guys that have been maybe in in cannabis for many years to see this path and yes, we can, we can now make a living at this. And, you know, 
at the same time, there's some, certain things where you have to have everybody on your team. You have to have some guys that may not have been in cannabis for their whole lives, but may have been in business or have been in, you know, the legal sides of things. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's very, very important to uh, construct that team properly and not just, you know, good old boy, you know, which is, which is fine to use your friends and everybody, you know, but at the same time, make sure you got your team dialed in, you know, and compliant. So that's where I'm at. Okay. So I'm going to skip around here. Um, to ask more about your business, I'm not going to go in order. Um, you guys have delivery at Kaya Shack, correct? Actually, we, we, we do. We have, we have not quite hit the roads with that. Interestingly, we have, uh, we have four delivery vehicles. And the main thing that's kept us off the road was that. And, you know, this was, uh, you know, let me actually, I can actually go back to your last question, which would also be the banking, uh, is, is, is kind of a hiccup and, and kind of a, an issue that we're dealing with in the industry, as you're well aware. But so okay. so dealing with the deli- our delivery vehicles, what we had was initially a platform that was going to allow us to accept the um, the credit cards or the uh, debit cards and stuff like that. Where somehow in the middle of that um, the that business ended up not being able to connect us to the bank and. And so our delivery got set back real. So, you know, maybe that's, that's another answer to the previous question as well. Is, um, yeah, you know, what has been, what is, what has been a difficulty? Yeah. I, I should just add that the, another difficulty to the industry as a whole has been the banking. And so, um, you know, so delivery, yes, we we're, we're, we're like, we're on the verge of launching our delivery. We're, we're right there. We've got the cars. They're all wrapped. They look nice. Uh, we've, they're safes in them like they're supposed to be, you know, and, there's certain things you have to do. You have to have them GPS, you know, track. And uh, awesome. so we've got all that, you know, and we're just, we're just waiting on this, the last, the last little connection to be made and, and then we'll hit the streets. <laughs> Absolutely. Word. And that was uh, another question on the list was how soon do you think federal legalization is going to happen? Cause that would pretty much alleviate all of those concerns for your business. Right. 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 Well, you know, uh, I, the hopeful side of me is, you know, I, I think it really could happen within the next couple of years. Uh, and, and maybe that's being, uh, a little, hopeful. I mean, some, some, some guys are saying within, you know, five years, I'm saying, I, I really think it could happen within the next two years, but, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think there's been a lot of positive changes and a lot of, as the states are, you know, more and more coming to their their own senses, I would say, and, you know, becoming legal states, uh, there's, and, and especially with the farm bill and with the, with the, the need to be able to kind of transport the CBD products, there's kind of becoming a, a blurred line is, you know, you know, there's going to have to be some changes made. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be one of the, one of the, one of the catalysts oil. will be, yeah, you know, yeah, they're going to stop everywhere. every truck. Are you going to stop every truck now that's legally, you know, running oil and running CBD uh, flour through all the states, you know, truckloads full of it, which is interesting. Yeah, and, and so I think that'll kind of be a catalyst as well. You know, they're like, okay, we'll have to set up a program where we can ship this stuff, you know, interstate, you know, around the, around the country and, uh, you know, around the globe. And, and so I think uh, the, the hemp, the hemp, 
uh, farm bill has been, and, and the new HR bills, the new Senate bills coming, and you know all that. I think uh, we're going to see a lot of change coming pretty soon. Yeah, that's a hopeful side of me. Yeah. Yeah, I I dig it, man. I try to stay positive about the situation at all times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. people are campaigning yep. for it and doing yeah, it I was gonna say in the rules. I hope that uh, yeah. you know federal legalization rolls around soon and that states are actually able to um, you know ship product to each other because I know I'm in Mass right now yeah. and um, there's a few oh, recreational right. dispensaries and uh, the, the the one in town to me only ever has like four to five strain options at a time and that's all they have um, so right, it's kind of right. still yeah. it's just getting started and we're here but. Over here. We're sitting over here with a million yeah. pounds of surplus, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Serious, dude. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, so another question I have besides your in-house stuff, who's been your favorite farm this year in Oregon? In Oregon? Oh, okay. Uh, who's been my favorite farm? Well, I'm not going to say myself, of course, because that would be, like, shameless. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, you know, you know who I've seen doing a lot and doing a lot of work has been uh, Doghouse. They've been a, I've seen them do a lot of farms and and Jim Davis and them guys. They're doing some great work. Uh, Doghouse Farms. Now, if I were to answer yeah. that question on a more on a more national level, I really love seeing what Mike Tyson is doing. <laughs> I really see yeah. that Tyson Ranch is is inspiring. You know, I I you know and then it's coming from both sides the small side of me and the large side of me you know but tyson uh, i mean he seems to be really loving what loving the plant and loving what he's doing and and they're putting out a nice product and uh they're they're doing great with their marketing and and i and i love that so you know i, I think doghouse locally has been a really cool farm and uh i also think uh tyson mike tyson is going to be fun to watch so Word. I'm gonna have to look for a doghouse on the shelf next time I'm in Oregon, and then I'm gonna have Do to it. hit up hit up Tyson. Yeah, doghouse is killer. He's only four. Do- he's like four hours yeah. up the road, I think, Las Vegas from Phoenix. I'm have to go Definitely hit up the okay. Kaya Shacks and try some of our in-house flowers as well, man. <laughs> I will, dude. Definitely. I I definitely am going to. It's on the uh. Yeah, Doghouse has a mean ass cut of Scooby Snacks. It's a little bit different than Pig Farmers and Heroes Cut, but yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's super good, super unique. Yeah, yeah. So you're familiar? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. Yep. Okay. Cool, so cool. one of the one of the closing questions I got here, Josh. Since uh, we have you on the Grasshopper app and not the video chat. We can't accept any calls, so I want to try and wrap up with a couple oh, more bummer. questions, and then and then have you plug your uh, social media. Um, we should have sure. that worked out by the next time you're on. Um, yeah, sure. I'll get the videos going next time I'm on as well. Yeah, it's all good. I know you're a busy man. We just appreciate you having your voice, at least, dude. Absolutely. Um, no, it's fine. The, not a problem. One of my last questions was, uh, what sort of ideas or concepts would you like to promote for the future? Oh, that's a good one. Well, there's a, there's a number of things. Uh, right now, I'm I'm actually working with a, a group that I really, really kind of inspired me, and I'm inspired by what they do. Uh, they're called Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Um, Roz McCarthy, um, she's the, the founder of that, and uh, they have uh, they have an outreach in many states. Uh, 
Um, and uh, and I think they have one. Are you are you in Florida? I think they have. Uh, uh, there's a guy named Eric Range in Florida who's a part of this group. And uh, I'm really I'm really inspired by by them, and they're they're really kind of trying to create equity and equality within the marijuana industry. And I and I and I and I'm I'm on board, and I've kind of joined up with them as much as I can to, to give them, you know, my time and, and my energy. But uh, what they are they're they've got enough of their own time and energy. They're doing great things. Um, so yeah. what they've inspired me to do within our within our own company is to kind of create a um, an internship position within our company, which would be rotating and which would allow um, people with more challenged barriers uh, to entry into maybe the field, um, uh, allow them a, a training period of, you know, three to six months where they would, they would go through and, and they would learn everything. And uh, this is more on our production side, but they would also go through the dispensary side. Um, they would learn yeah. to grow and learn all the things about production and, 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 and of cannabis and in in the meantime you know or in the if there was a position that our company needed they would either rotate into that or they would we would help them into the job force um you know the workforce um with these skills and with some of our contacts and and so you know without trying to be too uh long on that but that so these kind of things of paying it forward or giving back is really what what i'm personally all about um, that's dope. You know, I, so. I dig that, man. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Will, Will, do you have any questions to add before we uh, tune on to the next guest here? Uh, yeah, I just had one question. It kind of pans back to the to the ones we asked earlier. But uh, uh, are you still? Um, do you still have a farm that's um, producing flour for your four shops right now? And and how do you sort of um, disperse what what strains and what amounts go to each shop? Yeah, so what what happened was uh, we, we ended up, and this goes back to the zoning question, when going from medical to recreational, uh, our zoning wasn't appropriate in Portland. So in the in that, we had to kind of look for uh, somewhere else to, to produce. Uh, we found a property mm-hmm. in Lebanon, Oregon, 27-acre uh, property, which was, ended up in uh, – a little bit of a bout with the, the neighbors, uh, kind of not, they, they, put, they were up at arms at first, not knowing if we were going to be, they thought we were going to bring bikers and all the, the stereotypes of, <laughs> you know, reefer madness to their neighborhood. And, and so this was the challenge we had. In the meantime, we, uh, we purchased a, a building in, in, in Eugene, uh, and we are just now in the process of getting that fired back up. So we, uh, we nice. kind of, we had we had one run. Uh, it's a tier one, you know. It's a small for four for four dispensaries. We're not we don't have to be super huge, but and and we are going to develop you know uh, that property in Lebanon to, to be more. But we have a tier one going, uh, which means we have about five thousand square feet of uh, flowering space. Um, we're ramping that back up because we are doing some air conditioning upgrades. Uh, so we kind of just had our first uh, R&D run through that. Um, what we're doing is kind of, and, and what you're asking is how we're, you know, utilizing what strains um, going into the dispensaries. And that's kind of what we're, we're looking at right now is how we're breaking up our harvest, how we're running what strains at what times to go in, and um, kind of how we're keeping that rotation on the shelf. So, so we're kind of in the development of all that, but 
really what it is is uh, we, we're trying to keep about 30 strains on the shelf at all times, and uh, you know, rotating into our into that with our our production should be fairly easy. Um, you know, it'd take about eight months to a year to get th that many really going, but uh, we'll be there. <laughs> so Definitely. Now we've had a lot of change and a lot of kind of growth in the past uh, year that's kind of led us to now. So we're, we're really happy about where we're at. At the same time, uh, awesome. now, is, now is kind of the, the very the very early phases of that. <laughs> so we're figuring all that stuff out, which is fun in itself. No. Definitely. Okay, so Josh, uh, what is your social media and whatever you want to plug as far as an address for your stores or anything, if people can just search you on Leafly or if you guys have a website, uh, like plug away. Yeah, man, well, we've, there's a few. I mean, uh, my, my own personal social media is uh, on Instagram. I'm Josh Mossberg, uh, J-O-S-H-M-O-S-S-B-E-R-G. Uh, you know, you can kind of follow me there. Uh, LinkedIn, my address, I am um, Joshua Galbraith uh, on LinkedIn, um, J-O-S-H-U-A-G-A-L-B-R-A-I-T-H. That's my real name. <laughs> Josh Mossberg is my old grower name from a long time ago on Instagram. Um, awesome. And they can, uh, our, our website, though, for Kaya, we have uh, kayaholdings.com, which is more of our, um, I forgot to mention, we are a, a over-the-counter um, penny stock publicly traded company so people can uh, check out our our, um, uh, our website as well as our um, secure our security files SEC filings and uh, okay, our ticker so is K-A-Y-S we're K-A-Y-S on the stock market and uh, uh, our uh, web so we have publicly traded yes sir yes sir the Kayashack uh, is publicly traded Super dope. So we can talk about that more next time, right? <laughs> yeah, dude, that's a <laughs> but, total, uh, yeah. other episode. Yeah, right. And we're we're uh, we're at a point right now where, you know, we're we're fairly low. Uh, or, or we're about ten cents a share, maybe a little less today. But uh, you know, they move around, and and you never know what's to come. So we feel like Almost. we have a lot of growth and a lot of potential. And uh, K A Y S on the on the on the stock market and uh, kayashack.com, kayaholdings.com. You can learn a lot about us, subscribe up for our newsletter, and uh, there we are. I'm going to do that. Sign up for the email list, dude. That's the where I get the most for information. For sure. For sure. Too much you get a lot of the, you get the CEO and the CFO. They do the little webcast a couple times a year and stuff like that. So kind of uh, hey, Josh. informational. We, we just released our financials yesterday. Or the 19th, Yo. so they look a little better, and we're doing pretty good. So, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate. Of course, you. man. Dude, uh, we'll send you a link when the episode is done recording, so anybody who wasn't able to tune in live can catch your interview on demand. That'd be great. That'd be great, and I look forward to doing it again, man. Just let me know. Yeah, man. We appreciate. Yeah, thanks a bunch, dude. Josh. Excellent, appreciate it, man. Excellent expertise on the Here, industry, guys. dude. Yeah. Have a good night, Absolutely. bro. Have a good night. Cheers. Talk to you real soon. Yep. Later. Okay, Mitchell. Um, it says ICE checking on his end is what McQuinnis says. I told him his circle is spinning on our end. 
Um, anybody who's tuning in live, we're trying to get the video chat back up with our second guest, Jackson McCormick from Natural Wonders. And just to, for, for me to briefly piggyback on something that uh, um, Josh said with the the um, minorities in cannabis too, and something I'm pretty passionate about, you know, it's, it's um, the war on drugs has, you know, disproportionately incarcerated people of color. So I feel like, you know, those people should be given the first opportunity to when it comes to um, licensing businesses and all that type of stuff. Um, I yeah. agree. I agree. Uh, I am one of those persons of color. I got a felony possession of marijuana charge my senior year of college. Had to sit a month in jail after I graduated. Um, had to stay in Idaho for two years on probation before I could escape to Oregon. Definitely. And once I got there, it was uh, I had to wait, I think, a year before I could get my medical card. And yeah. And it, was, it was on from there, man. Um, yeah, no. That's exactly, you know, that's the the people that have previously been incarcerated for it are the people that need the first shot at it because it, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of good people out there, but a lot of it has become, uh, you know, kind of white dominated uh, industry in which like, you know, people who haven't even been passionate about cannabis for that long are now seeing the financial benefits of it and just throwing money towards it. Yeah, I agree. Um, on the regulation episode that we're going to have, I think that's on May 19th, there's a guy named Jason Ortiz. Um, I still have to coordinate with him and book him for the episode, but he's also out there in Washington, D.C., lobbying for the same nice. cause. Um, yeah, e equality for people of color in the cannabis industry, too. Definitely. Is important. Um, so we're just having a little bit of technical difficulties. We had to have our guest leave the call and come back. It looks like he's coming on right now. His light turned green and I can see his logo. You guys in the corner uh, flashing yeah. on. Okay, I can hear you a little bit, Jackson. Can you keep talking for us? Find this group thing. Oh, his circle is spinning. Oh, we can see him now. Folks. Sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is our second guest today. On <clears throat> his name is Jackson McCormick. He is the owner of Natural Wonders in Portland, Oregon. I uh, got a lot of love for this dude. He's also a native business owner, person of color in the cannabis industry. So very rare, um, very talented. So, Jackson, thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me switch to your questions. Um, yeah, I caught the beginning before tech technical circled me out. Yeah. Got some nice updates on the mass game from Will, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dope. Unfortunate okay, so updates. I <laughs> Like some cookie cutter type questions, I guess, for both of you guys. Um, I wanted you to elaborate on certain parts more than others, just because I know more about your story. Um, again, can can you please state your name, company, city, and state, and medical or recreational as far as your retail operation? Definitely. So I'm Jackson McCormack, and I own Natural Wonders 
dispensary in Portland, Oregon. It serves both recreational and uh, medical patients. And yeah, it's been around since 2014. Awesome. So what inspired you to open a cannabis dispensary? Um, well, I started out as a, a caregiver and a grower in the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program. Um, after that, I became a patient as well. And working directly with patients is really what got me motivated in creating, you know, a good reliable resource for those patients you know to have something consistent because everything in the past was really direct and that was nice but you can help people at a different scale when everything gets more established yeah dude that's what i always tell folks too is if you want the uh the cleanest most organic medicine in the city you should go to natural wonders because that guy's really stringent on what makes it to his shelf um so my next question what sort of obstacles have you encountered in getting licensed and opening up your doors as a cannabis retail operation well and please start at the beginning because i want folks to hear the whole story from you on when you first opened your first store and all the things that have happened since then that brought you to where you're at now yeah i think that those you know barriers and obstacles have definitely evolved over time when we were first getting started we actually got our first opportunity at a uh original like gray market dispensary space on northeast gleason in portland where uh we had been working with that owner directly um, to connect him with growers and make sure that patients had good access. It was a good, reliable um, location for us in the city. And because we had that type of vending relationship uh, prior to the dispensary laws passing, when the opportunity came about, there were rules on who could apply for a license and who couldn't. And the original owner there at the collective wouldn't qualify for getting a license in the industry. And so he was looking for someone to kind of continue the work there and do their own thing. And um, I was first on his list. So we made an attempt there to legalize and applied on the first day that dispensary licenses were available. And this is strictly for medicinal use dispensaries. And um, there was a waiting period where we didn't really know what happened after that first morning but it came down to what minutes your application got processed through because there was a lot of interest at the beginning and uh, actually two dispensaries near us. Originally, we thought um, there was a particular shop that beat us, but it was actually another shop up the corner that was in before anybody. And they didn't open for about a year and a half, but securing that place in line pretty much eliminated that opportunity for us there on Gleason. And so we had to begin our hunt all over. Um, we ended up finding a really cool location in Southwest Portland, but, uh, and we got our provisional license there and we thought we were about to get rolling and Southwest is really underserved. So we were pretty excited, but we ended up finding a school location that wasn't listed on the maps that were available for the public. And 
uh, in Oregon, you have to be at least a thousand feet away from any compulsory education school. And this school was definitely within about 600 feet. So we for uh, we gave up that opportunity and continued to hunt until we landed in Southeast Portland. And even that process was really interesting because at that point, you know, there was definitely a lot of buzz even around these medical only dispensaries and the landlords of the property were open to renting to the industry, but they wanted to make sure they're picking the right people for the space. And so they wanted a business plan and proposal submitted by all of the different applicants so that they could decide who was going to um, be the best fit for the long term. And so we ended up <clears throat> winning that uh, basically what felt like a business proposal competition. Uh, we ended up winning that selection and securing a lease, but those leases didn't turn out to be as uh, long-term as we hoped. Yeah, so just to, uh, to nutshell it for everybody, first spot, he opened up, had to close because someone within a thousand feet applied first. Second spot, got everything lined up, didn't open, found out there was a school within a thousand feet. So two strikes on the third time. All right, we get to open. But what happened after a few years on your lease at the third spot, Jackson? Um, we started to have uh, all sorts of random disagreements and letters coming from our landlord who basically wanted to triple up our rent. Uh, our landlords ended up going through a divorce and we started working with a new partner in the situation and they were did not want to be as accommodating to cannabis and they wanted a larger share of the pie as they as they uh as they phrased it uh they were the ship uh they were our ship guiding us through the rough seas of uh of business ownership and they uh felt like they should share in the profits <laughs> Uh, you know, interestingly enough, it's That's funny. retail is definitely uh, one of the least profitable areas of the emerging industry. But, you know, it's worked out for the better. We've actually secured a space within a thousand feet of our most recent location, what we call our original location, because it's the only space we got to do real business in for a few years. Um, so yeah, we'll be opening up and we won't have to suffer the loss of having our original space used for a new up and coming cannabis industry. That's dope. So uh, the happy ending is you found a new spot and it's going to open in a month, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was a really long answer to an open-ended <laughs> question, but I'm glad that you were able to tell that story because I'm, I'm really yeah, you and your quite the saga. <laughs> most people, most people would have quit, dude, after the first time. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was pretty sad, actually. The place that we passed on in Southwest, and we informed them that there was a school there. They basically told us, yeah, whenever we would have found out, we would have just shut you down. And so we decided not to open in that space after letting them know the situation. And they ended up licensing another store 
in that space, um, one of the older stores in the in the industry, the Veterans Access Center for Medical Marijuana. And those people operated for a while. And then the OLCC said, hey, there's a school there. Or the OHA said, hey, there's a school there. And they promptly shut them down. And that actually ended up being the last iteration of that uh, dispensary group that started out trying to serve veteran patients um, and provide them low quality, good access. So they didn't recover there was definitely, patients. yeah, bureaucracy could have uh, taken a little bit, you know, followed a little, little bit more of their procedures and probably helped a small business survive um, through a really hard growth stage. Yeah, dude, that's a bummer. Um... So I'm, that brings me to my next question is what do you feel is the most difficult issue um, facing retail cannabis businesses today? Um, you know, I think it definitely depends where you are and where you're approaching the industry from. But um, I think the common obstacle that we all face is the effective tax rate for um, dealing with a Schedule One substance, especially being on the retail side. It's basically just considered drug dealing on the federal level and there's not a lot of write-offs for drug dealing um so i think that high effective tax rate definitely puts a burden on people and um i think yeah yeah and i think uh when you consider the political conversations that we're having these days about really profitable large businesses not paying any sort of tax on the profits that they're making and you look into the cannabis industry where you can easily be paying 50 to 70 percent effective tax rate at the end of the day as a small business um you know i think it's important to recognize you know some of the disadvantages of uh, being small business and not having a really loud voice at the, you know, policy making level. Word. Okay, so uh, that's the next cookie cutter question I have is, uh, how soon do you think federal legalization is going to happen? Um, you know, I really wouldn't be surprised if we saw changes during this administration. I think that uh, the way that Yeah. And I think that the way that it's being phrased, you know, on the right really has to do with uh, the the disagreement between federal and state laws that's becoming more more and more common across the country. And I think that having this issue that's really somewhat up in the air, um, people want some decisions made on how laws are supposed to be applied. And at this point, a majority of places support, you know, cannabis legalization in some form. So I think, uh, I think especially with the big elections rolling up, I think it's really. That's going to be a big issue on everybody's forum, man. Exactly. And a lot of people who have uh, previously been opposed to cannabis have definitely shifted gears to at least be open to the idea. I think in 2017 it made it recreational cannabis made it on the ballot down here in Arizona and it only failed 49 to 51%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even the places where it's failing it's um 
you know, the margins are narrower and narrower. And it really comes down to access to information for people because the more people that learn about cannabis uh, definitely creates more open-mindedness towards its use. Even if people aren't interested in using it themselves, a lot of them aren't opposed to other people trying it out. So, Yeah, man. Uh, mind your own business type approach as long as you're not bothering <laughs> me. I'm not bothered by you, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, my next cookie-cutter question, I want to let you freestyle at the end for as long as you want to, but uh, I want to get through these just so I can be somewhat journalistic with this podcast um <laughs> who's been your favorite farm this year in Oregon? um and then have you have you sampled the wares anywhere else i know you travel a lot too yeah um i haven't really traveled much this year but uh i really like the uh diversity of the stuff coming out of uh deep creek gardens lately um, especially since they've gotten to showcase some of the breeding work done at Dynasty. I've yeah. always been a really big fan of pineapple fields just as a cultivar. And so um, I think being able to showcase the breadth of, you know, terping profiles and varieties and really caring about the plant. Um, I feel like they've been doing a really good job. Yeah, man, last time I was in Oregon, I got to try some of that uh, Huckleberry Diesel. And I don't think Deep Creek grew it, but... Yeah, Geek Farms. Geek Farms, yeah, that shit was fire. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, try some of the upcoming Geek Farms. They brought some of their older varieties back into rotation. Um, Blue Jay is one of my favorites, and that should be coming back around the same time as us. Right on, dude. I'm uh, <laughs> hoping I can make a trip up there this summer to go check out the new space. Um, another cookie-cutter question I have is, do you feel like lab testing for cannabis products has become more objective? Um, you know, I think with anything, you know, with you know, dollars on the table, there's always going to be, you know, some questions of, how people are choosing to apply what they're doing you know there's you know the way that growers and processors prepare their samples to be sent to labs um you know there's a little bit of variety in the standard operating procedures kind of across the board but even more than that even if everybody had really consistent almost perfect procedures uh as an industry standard you're still going to be dealing with some variation and I think that uh that's not necessarily understood by consumers you know yeah especially if guys are growing from a seed you know? unless we're taking you know uh samples from every part of the canopy of the plant um inside outside different selections you're really you know people should give it some sort of a margin margin for error I think it's really good as a guide for what sort of ratios you're interested in. And I think it's also really good if you can start to learn terpene profiles that give you the effects that you want. But as far as um, trying to create a threshold for what sort of numbers you're looking for, 
I don't think that's necessarily as realistic just because uh, when you look at some of the concentrate and extract numbers, the pieces of the pie um, sometimes end up making more than a whole pie. And that's just in normal standard deviation issues when you're trying to calculate the full constitution of a plant. So I think people get a little bit too obsessed with the specific numbers that they're looking at when really they should be taking the whole picture of what the numbers provide and definitely testing that looks for more compounds is a lot more beneficial than uh, the more limited tests that are required to be shown on consumer labels. I agree. So terpene profile is an optional lab test for producers to pay for, correct? It's not required for compliance? Definitely, yeah, not not required. So do you think the guys who pay for that extra test and put it on their label definitely sell a little bit better? Um, you know, I don't know that that's the case. I think it I think consumer education takes a while. Um, and you know, when we're dealing with more experienced medical consumers to a certain degree and I think that the adult use consumers are starting to get there as well. But uh there's just a lack of credible voices for a lot of people. And so as we start to get more people who are really familiar with pharmacology or even aromatherapy in a professional capacity, and they start to lend their wisdom or their cross applications of knowledge to cannabis, they're going to really uh, open up the door to a lot of people who are just skeptical because they don't know the answers to their questions. And they don't, might not even know the question, how to ask the question that they have. So they're really looking for credible information to get their feet wet. I agree. Yeah, I, I feel like too, with, with uh, that said, people being afraid to, to ask questions almost. It's, my experience as a bud tender, I mean, a lot of people, you know, always go for what's the highest THC percentage. And even um, just recently, people... I've noticed, you know, people will take a scour at the menu. They won't, they won't ask, you know, I'll say if they need any help finding anything, they won't ask about anything and they'll just, I'll notice they always pick whatever's like, you know, if it's a pre-roll, whatever's highest in THC, um, you know, say it's a rude boy or something or flower, they'll always pick the highest THC. And I feel like maybe they've been like shunned from asking the question you know, of like what, what actually contributes to po uh, potency it's not necessarily a THC percentage. You know, they'll even the they'll even abandon their original what they might have said in their original mission. You know about looking for something relaxing or more stimulating exactly. in favor of a number that catches their eye. Exactly. Um, yeah. Definitely. And that's, that's what I find is just the a big thing with consumer education because you know Oregon has a a great craft beer market and also a great cannabis uh, market. And I feel like people will, I feel like people understand craft, the craft beer side, not more, but like they understand what makes a craft beer craft versus what like, makes something actual, craft cannabis. And no bitterness scale or something like that. That's yeah. And I just, yeah, you know, it's um, yeah, trying to, to, yeah, to get people to see that, um, you know, it's it's more about the the care that goes into growing the product, and 
um, what's used, what nutrients are used. And, you know, that in a sense um, will always create in my mind just great effects and, and cannabis grown to its genetic potential, as, as they say. So my last cookie cutter question before I just give it up to Jackson to talk about whatever he wishes and maybe we can add something afterwards was uh, what sort of ideas or concepts would you like to promote in the future? Um, I think that there's a lot of counterculture that's associated with cannabis in terms of um you know, agricultural practices or even like the hippie mindset. And I think that people um, really exploring those different modes and applications of agriculture and looking at ways to apply it in the broader sense, you know, people are really experimenting right now in the cannabis industry. And I think there's a lot to learn um, from traditional agriculture, but I think definitely uh, trying to identify some of the common issues with monoculture and traditional agriculture and how we can solve those in cannabis can really lend a benefit to the bigger picture. I guess I think that people should be looking at ways that cannabis can be integrated into everything else that we're doing um, and not really look at it in this isolated fashion. Okay, bro. So uh, we're going to open it up to questions after you want to plug any social media or tell anybody about what you've been working on when you're going to open up again. Anything you yeah. want to plug on your end, bro. Have a way. Yeah, social media is always just uh, a storm because even as we close this most recent recent shop, a lot of our staff um, including my personal account and some of our managers, you know, lost their Instagram presence, which is constant issue in the cannabis space. Um, we've gone through at least three or four different handles, uh, sometimes successfully recovering them, but never for the long term. So our most recent Instagram handle is PDX Wonders. As far as I know, it is still active and exists as of today. Um, how long that will be there, we really don't know, but I'm really hoping for some uh, some shifts on that front. Um, it's actually just gotten worse as Facebook's integrated tighter with Instagram. I can't even create new accounts on my phone, so might be getting a new one of those here soon just to get back to the social media action. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Natural Wonders Oregon. Uh, we're definitely at least on our second iteration there. But uh, we will be posting updates to those spaces. NaturalWondersPDX.com is our website. Uh, our new address is 3831 Southeast Main Street in Portland, Oregon. And that space is under development. We should be open uh, here within the next 30 days. So we are staying busy on trying to make it happen, but we are converting an old 1890s home into a retail space. So there are some uh, planned updates and there's some surprise updates as you peel down those ancient walls. Uh, there's some secret surprises. So 
uh yeah we're excited to get back to what we do um we definitely miss all of the vendors that we've been working with essentially since it was medical only that's definitely something that's really important to us is showcasing a lot of the people who started out serving patients directly which is where a lot of us got our first experiences with the uh, medical cannabis industry here in Oregon is trying to figure out ways to help patients deal with their qualifying conditions and tr really trying to promote more of a socialized medicine aspect. Um, it's really sad what's happened to the medical program here in Oregon because originally uh, the ideal situation and the really what was supposed to be the standard situation for patients and growers who were able to create long-standing relationships with was a pound and a half, 24 ounces a year, or two ounces a month, depending on if they did single crop harvests or more of a perpetual consistent cropping. And the uh, growers would take their excess out and find patients to reimburse them for the cost of their work. And it created um, the foundation for the industry that we have today. And it did a lot better job of taking care of patient needs than uh, any version of that that we have going on now. The patients have definitely been sacrificed for a lot of the progress that we've made in terms of being an industry. Okay, so not to just cut you off, we want to open it up to callers right now. It says we have a few people tuning in live. So if anybody listening live right now wishes to call in and ask questions of Jackson from Natural Wonders, the phone number is 833-777-3227. That's 833-777-3227. Um, we're going to see if anybody calls in and wants to ask any questions. I guess you could ask me and Will a question too. Um, to paraphrase yep. the number again, it's 833-777-DABS, because we're uh, on the Concerned Dabs podcast. <laughs> so how's it looking over there on your end, Mitchell? Is anybody calling in? Somebody is? Nobody is calling in. Okay. <laughs> Says it looks good, at least. Oh, wait. Yeah. Our first episode. Okay, so uh, what else do you want to talk about, Mitchell? Uh, or I mean, Jackson? Well, I think that it's really exciting that banking access is getting a lot of noise right now. Um, at the federal level, they're constantly talking about these duffel bags full of cash that we're just overwhelmed with. <laughs> I don't necessarily find that to be my experience. Um, I think it's an important conversation, but I think if we look at the root of this issue, it's that we are considered drug traffickers of a Schedule One substance. And so descheduling cannabis is really um, one of the only actual solutions to what we're dealing with. You know, banking access doesn't change the fact that the federal um, government considers us drug traffickers and subjects us to really different and really strict IRS tax code, which is an overwhelming burden for people who are at a small business level trying to compete. We see um, really big, you know, now billion dollar acquisitions going on um, between 
you know, the corporate on the corporate side of cannabis, even uh, multinational deals being struck. And um, I'm sure that bleeding money is all fine and dandy for a few folks who see the long game and are on a uh, much larger scale, but it's definitely detrimental to creating and sustaining local cannabis economies. So descheduling cannabis, not rescheduling, descheduling cannabis and taking it off the Controlled Substances Act um, right. is definitely the next step in legitimizing the industry and making sure that people have a viable path forward. Yo. Okay, so I'm going to plug the uh, the phone number two more times, and then I'm going to let you continue on. Um, anybody listening right now live who wants to call in, the phone number is 833-777-3227. Um, you can call in and ask Jackson, Will, or Katie Kane any questions you want um, pertaining to the cannabis industry. Again, the phone number is 833 833- Seven 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 three two two seven. That's eight three three seven 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 dabs. Okay. Need like a little soapbox emoji for myself here. And that's <laughs> actually, you know, some of the criteria that the most in the most general sense that we end up applying to the vendors and the people that we work with. Um the quality and care and the sustainability practices of the vendors are really what help set our shop apart that and along with the employee education and the customer service that we're able to provide but um yeah i mean having having vendors that we get to work with where i don't have to find my tiny soapbox uh that's really a deciding factor because we're not here to force everybody to comply with you know our vision of cannabis sustainability and a better future we're really looking for people who share the same type of vision as us and want to promote that collaboratively through um supporting each other's businesses no doubt man that's uh i dig that too most everybody who's on the shelf brands themselves as either organic or no-till super clean practices yeah and i remember uh i heard you guys earlier talking about some of the changes that are going on with usda organic and i think that um that's just another example of uh the large-scale lobby and the powerful efforts that agricultural companies have over our regulatory systems um we should definitely have activists and advocates in the positions that determine, you know, what does organic mean if it's something that we want to be able to have faith in when we see it on a store shelf. I don't think that, you know, bending so that way more people can participate in the organic label is necessarily beneficial. And I think that transparency is really the most important part. So if we're going to start making concessions, we should really be creating levels of organic i guess because i think that people should be able to understand what sort of practices they're supporting when they pick up a pick up a product in the store and you know organic isn't something that cannabis um growers can use at this time but uh screening for those sustainable practices is something that's important to us and 
you know, somebody being able to create a real focused, transparent and scientifically backed option for how to label those products is definitely um, something that has been attempted to be filled in the industry, but really hasn't been developed in the scale that we need. And I think a lot of that comes down to whoever's going to pay for it, you know, <laughs> they want, they want it to fit exactly with what they're already doing rather than making things better. Yeah. To change what they're already doing. Cause I, when I read that article about the uh, herbicides being allowed for USDA organic, I was just like, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. That's, that's still a poison that you're going to be able to ingest even if it's labeled as organic. Like, yeah. And I do get, um, a little caught up with the issue that you know cannabis is taxed pretty heavily across the board um generally gets in the category of having a sin tax so it's getting taxed because it's not good for you like cigarettes or alcohol etc but those other types of products that face those types of sin taxes don't have to meet the uh standards that we do for cannabis and while i think that all cannabis should be grown you know pesticide and herbicide free and people should be looking at different ways to prevent pests and diseases as they practice their agricultural practices um i don't think it really makes sense to be applying a syntax and strict standards in terms of you know what can be used for agriculture either they need to accept the fact that cannabis has a lot of benefits and shouldn't be subjected to really high taxes when it's actually benefiting society as we make it more available and um, standardized or uh, we should allow those taxes to stand and uh i don't know pull back on the regulation <laughs> yeah dude episode to call in and ask questions of the people who are on there because the knowledge runs deep friend and i feel like you could really ask um some cool questions of those folks when they appear i think that yeah may 19th i think is when that one is on so oh nice yeah on your schedule that would be dope yeah because uh for real uh we wanted to dedicate a whole episode towards regulation of the cannabis industry but um difficult to try and book guests so we have a lobbyist from the east coast who we're trying to get we also have a girl who is writing her what's said the doctorate paper dissertation or something like that on the environmental impacts of cannabis um in california i think she's Upa Indian? Yeah, they're terrible with pesticides down there. Yeah, dude. And then just she's writing about the environmental factors on, you know, streams and, and habitat and stuff like that. So um hopefully she can have some cool um regulation stuff to add, you know, like because most of that stuff is probably allowed according to their laws. So making laws against it and then making people compliant with those laws is another story, but um I want people to hear about it so they can talk about it because um, there's not a lot of insight to the industry. The news doesn't cover it as much. So we're trying to have people on the show who can talk about it from experience. Legit. 
Yep. Is there anything you would like to add or ask Jackson, Will? We're going to probably tune off here in the next six minutes. We didn't get to go the full two hours or have our music portion yet because we have a mechanical license to figure out for broadcasting music live. Totally, totally. Uh, I think I think you covered most of it. I'll try and th- if I think of something, I'll spot it off here in a Okay, so in the future, if anybody's listening, if we can't get the mechanical license and you know somebody who produces their own music and hasn't uh, necessarily published it through ASCAP or BMI, maybe they're just a SoundCloud artist and they're super hot. Um, If they create their own beats and it's not copywritten and they're cool with us broadcasting it, we're trying to have some sort of 15-minute musical portion on the show at the end. Um. But we're working on that. We're a work in progress here at Concerned Dabs Podcast. Um, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. I hope everybody can tell their friends that it was awesome. Um, and then it'll still be available for download or listening on demand at www.concernedabspodcast.com. Um, anything else, Will? No, thanks. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. And see you next week. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Dude, we really appreciate you. Uh, Absolutely. The the knowledge does run deep, man, and I appreciate your expertise. You're able to um, articulate it really well, especially uh, for the folks who might not be cannabis people. I think that you're communicating effectively with them, and that's awesome, dude. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What do we got next week, Kane? What's our, what's our uh, episode? So next week is the cultivation episode. I believe we have Joshua Steensland from Freshwater Farms. Super dope. Uh, indoor no-till, man. Not a lot of guys doing that. He's also doing it with LED, so I'm excited to ask him questions nice. about his process. Um, we're looking to try and get someone from 10-4, if you can still hook that up, Will. Um, I just saw Steve-O not, yesterday. Dude, if you can send him a text and tell him what's up, that would be awesome. Yeah, it's Steve-O. Um, it's next Sunday from 8 to 10 p.m. We can put him at 8.15, um, 8.45, or 9.15, I believe. So, What are you dabbing, Terps? I'm not dabbing it right now, actually. I'm just smoking flour. But my both my parents are patients, so. Um, I bought some 10-4 flour yesterday at a... At a local dispensary. Nice. It's it's nothing like uh, Oregon flour. It's not bad. Right now I'm smoking on some triple OG. Uh, let's oh, see if I can get it out. And then uh, the third guest I was trying to book is uh, Noah. Um, he's yep. He's a medical grower, and he also has more than two cards, so he downloaded that metric license. Yep. He's, he's about that life. I'm like, dude, you got balls, bro. Seed like, to sale. Dude, I really look yeah. up to him because uh, seed to sell medical. Most medical growers gave up once that was a requirement. It's like, what? I gotta use a computer and track everything. And he he's about it. He's still compliant. I believe he had a inspection sometime this year. So I'm excited to ask him questions about how it's going and what his plans are for the future. Absolutely. All right. So I think that's about it. Um, Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Uh, we'll share the link on our social media if you want to tune in to us. It's at Concerned Dabs Podcast on Instagram. 
Um, you can search Concerned Dabs Podcast on Facebook. And I think it's just at Concerned Dabs on Snapchat. They want to shorten your name up on there. So yeah. um, please check us out. We'll be back next week with the Cultivation episode. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, tune in next week, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Later.